Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious I'm about. Curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships can evolve with people evolve as they grow and change? We watched all these docu-series and documentaries on HBO and Cinemax and, you know, all, all the things um, that reminded me of real sex that I was, like, sneaking and watching when I was a little one. Um, so same, it kind of, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much of my knowledge of sexuality came yeah. from HBO at night and Welcome to the Curious Fox Podcast, for those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Mislaw. And today, we're bringing you another fox tale, an intimate, self-told story of a person who's challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. In our continued celebration of pride, we hear from Tiana Glitosaurus Rex about being Black, queer, poly, kinky woman, a self-described introvert with big energy, Tiana shares her journey of going from a traditional marriage to a joyful and active member of the kinky, poly, and fendang communities. I've known Tiana for a while and had the honor of witnessing her evolution, her energy, her drive to find herself, live authentically, and support others to do the same through community and education is inspiring and at times beautifully intoxicating. There was so much about her tale that resonated with me, from her misguided belief that her husband would leap into an open relationship and kink with equal energy, to worrying about how visibility in the sex-positive community would impact her work, to navigating through respectability politics and the burden of representing your race and ethnicity in every room that you step in, and her effort to find community and then create communities for people of color within the poly and kink spaces. Her vivid description of fitting in without a sense of belonging summed up so much of my experience on this planet, and I really appreciated that. Tiana experienced inevitable ups and downs, learned lessons along the way, and walked away with a great guiding principle. Know and ask for what you want. Hello, I'm Tiana Glitosaurus Rex. I am a black, queer, pansexual, femdom... Operations management, <laughs> serial entrepreneur, mm-hmm. intimacy coordinator, and curator of beautiful play spaces that encourage education. No matter what level of experience that you're coming into the space or experience, I think that's one of the best introductions. I was just going to say <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Every household needs one of those. (laughs) (laughs) So I would love to talk about my personal story of what it's like to be a Black, poly, queer woman. My story is really about an experience about New York and what that's like being and living in New York, which is its own bubble. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I travel outside that New York bubble, I am very, very <laughs> harshly and sometimes micro aggressively 
reminded what a beautiful sacred space even though new york has its harshness and microaggressions within itself but it's it's not the same and it's you know know the monster that you're familiar with Mm -hmm. (laughs) if uh, if that's an apt analogy that maybe others can relate to so i know which streets i can go on i know what spots are accepting me. I know now the level of consent that I demand when I walk into a space and how I want to be interacted, how I want my body to be treated, how I want to be seen and heard by those around me. And so I know to go to those spaces. I know how to help bring in other people to those spaces. And I feel like a friend of mine gave me the most beautiful analogy of my life experience even before stepping into this queer poly bdsm world was i'm someone that fits in everywhere but belongs nowhere Mm -hmm. and because of that blessing and burden i'm able to go into all different spaces whether people vehemently agree with me or disagree with me whether they want me to be there or not whether they actually condemn my existence for whatever aspect of my existence they disagree with i can still be there and hold my own and still know who i am and know when i need to not be in those spaces i don't need to continue to put myself in that kind of harm's way which is a psychological emotional you know torture if you will that i coming from a bdsm background know when to opt out of when to call my safe word my internal safe word Mm-hmm. if you will, to know that these things need to stop and change and shift. So that's that's more where my background comes from. I have two amazing, uh, loving parents that raised me, co-parented. They were separated when I was very young. They were married and then realized that it was not good for them to be together. And I agree, it's not good for them <laughs> to be together. And I think that's a blessing because they showed me Right then and there, you do what's best for you. There's so many people that stay together for their children, you know, and they're honored and revered for that. And it's hard, especially, I feel like, in a time where that was not socially acceptable to co-parent, that they did that. And I was raised in two separate but similar households. You know, there was certain no-nonsense that was not allowed in either household, but there was also a certain amount of nonsense that could happen in each household. Um, And being an only child, you know, you kind of learn early on what you can and cannot get away with. So I loved more being inside instead of being social. So I'm actually an introvert at heart. And when I say that to people, they're very surprised because when you meet me, I'm very extrovert-like. You cannot see the air quotes Mm -hmm. (laughs) around that. But I've learned how to fake it. I've learned how to like watch the extroverts in their natural habitat and mimic <laughs> how mm-hmm. I see them interacting and watching the healthy and unhealthy behaviors of how those socializations kind of happen and interact. And then, you know, how that was in high school versus when I was in college age and then the bar scene in New York. And knowing, okay, I don't really like cis bars. I love, you know, gay bars. Even before I identified as a queer woman, 
I was like, yes, these are my people. But it just felt like it was more free and authentic and they were having more fun. And I realized also I'm not really a drinker. I really enjoy cannabis. And so I went through a whole process of reefer madness, destigmatization of what that means, especially as a black woman and all the stigma that goes with sloth and laziness and not achieving much in life because of cannabis, because of how it's perpetuated in media and only seeing it in impoverished neighborhoods, ghettos. And those are the only black people that smoke cannabis. And I, I didn't really come from the projects, but I wasn't, we were middle, lower middle class, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents made sure I had clothes in my back, food on my table. Were they name brands? No. So I had to get over that. And that was okay because kids made fun of me for other reasons. So that also gave me thick skin of not really caring about what people think about me. And being an only child, I was okay being alone and reading a book and getting lost Mm -hmm. in a book and, you know, not being okay being the cool kid or the the popular girl. And because of how um, my mom and I moved, I actually went to different schools for about five years in a row. So it was like each year there was a new school that I went to. So it was like kind of restarting, which also is a blessing and a curse. You know, you get to reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. You get to, okay, don't make the same mistakes that you did in that last one and this one. Um, But also you get to see a new kind of meanness in people. You get to kind of see how they ostracize in a different way, how they other in a different way and kind of navigating through that. So It wasn't until sixth grade that I finally went to a a private school that I went through to all through 12th 12th grade. There was majority white, but majority Jewish. And Jewish people are a different kind of white people. (laughs) And I actually uh, love going to bar and bat mitzvahs and, you know, going to the parties. And it was almost like because... Um, the history of Jewish people and their culture also being persecuted in America. Um, there is that like trauma bonding, if you're cultural trauma bonding, that's sort of there that I didn't, this is me looking back in retrospect, not like seventh grade Tiana recognizing <laughs> generational trauma um, within her peers. Um, and so I, it sort of made me realize that it's like, okay, I can be around people of different ethnicities and backgrounds and look like me. And it, it made me realize how people point out different things of why we can be together and why we cannot be together mm. in different circles and different groups. And so Fast forwarding that to now living full time in New York after graduating high school and kind of having that, you know, experience. And now I'm finding my own feet in New York, which has like pick a lane of like options and circles that you want to live in. Who the <laughs> hell do you want to be in New York? And you can freaking find it. Um, so it kind of is like a choose your own adventure, mm-hmm. which is so beautiful about it. New York and also very overwhelming. And I had been with my partner who's then my husband. We had actually met in middle school and then reconnected um, when we both moved back to New York. And lived together for a bit because we both had kind of shitty roommate situations. So we were like, okay, yeah, we can do better than whatever that was. 
And then that turned into a more romantic relationship. And because it was kind of based in like such a deep friendship for so many years, it just felt so natural to want to then continue and, and move and grow. And we, uh, we built a pet service company together during that time. And so I was going to college at Fordham and running the pet service company with my boyfriend, um, who then became my husband. And it felt like we were exploring and doing all the things in New York that we wanted to do together. It was like, you know, we did our kind of like wish list. I won't say bucket list because we were nowhere near the end of our life. (laughs) Um, But, you know, what we wanted to do, if all of our hearts, desires and imagine, you know, we're young, we're super and what, what do we want to live and experience? And a lot of those intersected. And so it was really nice to, to have this partner to, to explore these things together with and grow this business during that time that also included sexual things. And I wanted to explore BDSM and he was also sort of curious about it. And I wanted to do butt stuff and he was interested in butt stuff. So uh, that's when I wanted to find workshops and classes and he actually got us on field to be able to find different play parties. And we watched all these docu-series and documentaries on HBO and Cinemax and, you know, all, all the things um, that reminded me of real sex that I was like sneaking and watching when I was a little one. Um, so same, it kind of, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so much of my knowledge of sexuality came yes. from HBO at night. And yes, yes. no, so shaped who, I am what I do now, um, for sure. And so it made me realize that like, I always wanted to be polyamorous. I thought that I had to wait until you did the escalator relationship of like dating, marriage, kids, career, retirement. And then you can do whatever the fuck you want that you wanted to do before you're waiting to die, essentially. (laughs) And it was just like, okay, I don't want to wait till then we weren't ready for kids. Um, we felt established in our relationship. We had been dating for five plus years. Uh, we had actually been married for two years, I think, at that point as well. So it felt like, let's try a threesome. I would love to explore my queerness. I've never been with a woman. I saw the L word. It changed my life. <laughs> I think I want to see what it's like to eat pussy. I think I wanted to like kiss a woman and caress her. And I've always appreciated the female form. And I was like, I think I've appreciated the female form more than a heteronormative woman should appreciate the female form. Um, so I'd love to explore more of that. And I would love for you to explore your sexuality and what you want to do with whatever you want to do. I'm open to it. You know, and I just assumed that men were like waiting for that vision. Like you just like switch that switch and then all of a sudden like the lights go up and now it's part of town um and it was a little bit like that but he's even more introverted than i am as an introvert and so we realized that we needed to and we had different tastes in who we were sexually attracted to so that was a whole conversation and a lot of this process was having conversations that we never had before that now we were forced to have because now strangers were asking these, these things, emotions were happening that were never brought up before. And now we had to face them. And some of these things we were able to resolve ourselves. Some we were like, 
hold the phone. We need some support in here. We bring up, brought in support, some professional support. Mm-hmm. Shout out to everyone. <laughs> and we realized that we needed to reset. Like we literally needed to reset everything because over time, I felt like I was losing not just my husband, but my best friend. And I w- married my husband because he was my best friend. <laughs> So when I realized I was like losing and also my lover, it was like a, a trifle. I was like losing a lover. <laughs> it was like, whoa, what is we have to change and shift here. And even though he had a steady partner that he was seeing and she was amazing and she and I got along and I had other partners that he liked and that got along, it still felt like we could not get on the same page. And then it got to a point where our lease was up, where we were living together. And then we couldn't agree on where we wanted to live together. And so he wanted to live with his partner and I didn't want to live with them. And so I was like, well, I'm okay with you living with her and I will just find someone somewhere else to live. And I, I thought it was actually going to be living, moving with my dad who had a three bedroom like house apartment. So it wasn't really moving back in with my dad, even though it was like, Oh, moving back in with my parents. That's where I'd never do that. Um, but that's what's best for me right now. Um, since I don't, want to opt into the other option of living as a triad. And so my actual, my ex actually, who I was uh, dating and still friends with had a roommate that just bailed on him. And I was able to zip into that apartment and it was so, it was reasonably priced, you know, a beautiful neighborhood in Queens. So I was just like, yes, I will land there. And I basically stayed there up for all these years up until this partner that I'm currently with right now that I'm now like, Oh my God, I'm leaving Queens. Oh. And I had to unpack like that whole process. Like we're, we're actually in therapy together, which has been really helpful for our dynamic. And like, I didn't realize how much attachment I had to this because it had been the place that I landed from since my separation. Mm. And then I went through our subsequent divorce there, which was not so amicable at first, but then over time, you know, we were able to resolve things and became amicable. And now we're, we're friends again, not best friends, but still friends. Mm -hmm. And, and that that's like, and he's actually remarried to his partner that he was with then. And I wish them all the best. So it's kind of like beautiful how like the journey has side waved and full circled and, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the other sort of, you know, directions that polydynamics can kind of go in. And it sort of made me realize through my polydynamic that I was healing and falling in love through most of my poly journey while I was going through my divorce. And because I wasn't actually allowing myself to have space and breath to kind of heal and breathe, I always had another distraction. I always had another partner. I always had another event to preoccupy myself. I wasn't doing as much self-work as I needed to, to emotionally process what was happening to me and how my life was shifting and changing. But it was also the beautiful distraction that I needed while my life was shifting and changing because it made me realize that I can still live. I do have community. I do have friends. So much of my life was my husband, the business that we built, you know, going to school. And that was our nucleus. And that was so beautiful and preoccupied so much of my time, but I needed to live more than that. And I was so grateful that I'd gone through this process and journey because I'd come out so much more fulfilled because of it all. I had so much more enriching friendships and relationships 
And one of my really good friends that told me early on in my poly journey is like, you don't have to fuck all your friends. (laughs) And that was like a really great lesson. And it's like, oh yeah, no, some (laughs) people should just be friends and not just like instant lovers that loverships, Mm. whatever, you know, whatever ships Mm. that then you turn into the relationship dynamic that you both agree to. So it's kind of like you, you fuck up but you got to learn from your fuck up, you know, Mm -hmm. and then be accountable for it and be honest with yourself, first of all, and then the people around you. I think those were the the best lessons that I still am learning and still like, even now I'm just like, Oh yeah, you're, you're supposed to tell tell the truth. Yeah. (laughs) You got it. You got it. You fucked up. (laughs) And so it's hard to deal with that. And I think especially when you're in different relationship styles and different demands of you, it's sometimes easy to excuse bad behavior, excuse, you know, things that, I feel like, especially time management, you know, you have to be clear about your communication about time management. Like I would make up things about why I was late instead of just actually communicating why I was late. And it's just like, why are you doing that? Like, who are you doing this for? This is a negative behavior. Like you think you're saving their feelings, but actually you're perpetuating bad behavior Mm. to make an excuse as to why you're not doing, why you're not accountable for your time boundaries Mm. right now. So that's sort of where I started and where I am still presently at. So how did you reconcile your identity growing up? That's still a process being a black woman in America. (laughs) I'm still reconciling my identity. I know who, who I am, but it's interesting how others see me. And I'll elaborate on that. I know I have to make people feel comfortable. So if I don't smile initially at people, even just walking down the street, I can feel and sense their uncomfortability of me being a threat. And I did that unconsciously my whole life. And it wasn't until I was really faced with the why, you know, like it just got to the point where it was like, why do I feel like instantly I have to smile at everyone that I see? And it's just like, let's unpack that. And those, those kind of things that like, I, I realized like, why do you do that? <laughs> like, and, and that stems actually from my BDSM background because with kinks, I'm always so interested is like, why are you interested in that? Why is that a fetish? Why are you objectifying that body part? You know, like, and really kind of deep diving in that for myself. And then even for submissives that I had, especially when we're curating a scene. So that way I know where that stems from, especially as a black woman in femdom, I don't do race play but people can unbiasedly engage in race play. And so we have to be able to unpack that dynamic and the why behind what we're trying to achieve in this scene. So that way we know that we're not engaging in something that crosses my boundary. And so Mm -hmm. it's so fat. It's like the anthropologist in me. Like, I feel like if I was to go back into, you know, go back to school and study, that would probably be what I would want to study. And I think that's what I love going to play spaces. Like like this, this curiosity, this voyeurism of watching other people's exhibitionism having at certain aspects of my own exhibition, I like to be seen clearly by the colors and things and how I dress and calling myself Glitterstorist Rex. I want some aspect of being seen, but I also am like, don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Wait, I'm 
I'm an introvert. I don't know how to social. I don't know how to talk to people. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, and that's why I think I love hosting events. It gives me a task to be able to have my voyeuristic intrigue and, and kink um, while helping people uh, have their exhibitionism. Um, and it, it's this beautiful mm-hmm. balance that I realized that I've been able to tap into um, that it gives back to the community. <laughs> Yeah, that, mm-hmm. I, I just want to note there, I think that that is so interesting because I think that that is true, that when you are being an exhibitionist and sharing, people then assume, oh, you're an extrovert. That is actually much different than one-on-one interaction. I can stand in front on a stage of 500 mm-hmm. people easily. Having to have a conversation with any of those people afterwards is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love that you found your way of being connected in the space and the energy in a way that feeds you and doesn't deplete you as that one-on-one kind of connection would. Yes. Yes. Also, I think the, just the way that you reconcile that, right? I think that's exactly what we're talking about. You're like, this is who I am. This is who I want. And I want to be seen while I want to be, you know, have boundaries and have control over that. And this is how I reconcile the whole thing, which is beautifully done, you know? Thank you. Yay. Did you have to come out to your family? And so what was that like? I came out to my family first as polyamorous. Um, when I was opening up with my husband, we took my dad out to lunch at Italy, actually. So it was like really pretty. He'd never been there before. And it was very public. <laughs> so <laughs> even with my dad, that sometimes doesn't matter. But <laughs> I, it's just any, any needle forward um, to... <laughs> make it as I guess comfortable for us really Mm -hmm. it was really the setting that we needed to be able to have that conversation with him Mm -hmm. and he confused it with BDSM actually (laughs) he was like so you have people stringing you up and hanging from a ceiling was literally his like first reaction and it's like oh wait uh okay uh <laughs> <laughs> that fast forwarded really quickly yeah. exactly you're like yes but that's actually not what i'm yes. talking about yeah. that's next month's topic right. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, that is definitely happening not there yet i wasn't at full suspension quite, yeah. quite yet making my way towards being you know tied up and, and hanging from the ceiling but mostly it was like no this is what Polly Amherst is. We're going to have multiple partners. We're opening up our marriage. We are just exploring and seeing what we want to do with our our lives at this Mm. point because we're not ready for children. And this feels like a a nice step for us to explore. And first was like, okay with it. He was very calm. It seemed like his brain was processing a lot. And then he started to blame himself. Like, what did I do? You know, what, you know, what could I have done better? And like, is it because you were divorced? You know, like he just kind of, and look, he might, I won't call my dad a womanizer, but he was a star football player through high school and college. Mm. So, you know, he kind of, he, I know he had his, his way with, especially in the seventies, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> like he lived in like the golden era of when groupies were <laughs> abundant nice. and, <laughs> and I met some of these lovely women um, at his reunion. So <laughs> it's kind of mm. like, Oh, you're okay. You're, the daughter and <laughs> so it, it, i think he it sort of internalized maybe those aspects of his 
past that like now his daughter is like sweating out and wanting to you know do, do this um and it was like no this has nothing to do with you and really it was through my work with bdsm and camming and being a pro dom and then doing certain aspects of sugaring that i had to unpack my daddy issues that i realized it was not my relationship to my dad that i was engaging in these things but it was actually my relationship to money and capitalism and wanting mm. to explore being spoiled and taken out and being treated and doing the things that actually my husband didn't really enjoy doing like he doesn't like going to a spa so let me find someone who does want to treat me and go to a spa and then have me spank them afterwards um so it was a lot of different things that i had to educate myself on and then communicate that to my parents my mom on the other hand it was more of an over the phone conversation and she was just like are you happy and safe okay I don't need to know anything else. <laughs> that was kind of like me coming out to her about everything. And then certain other cousins I told that I'm very close with and, and shared that journey with them. And they've sort of watched and supported me through it. And they've been amazing. Uh, my, my closest cousin, actually, this Christmas after my divorce was finalized, I was dreading going to Christmas, but she was like, no, come, come, come. We're all coming together. And so I was like, fine. And then I found out later and I was like, oh, that was such a great experience. No one asked me about my divorce. It was so lovely, you know, seeing family. And then I found out later that like, she literally like told everyone, don't you fucking bring up Tiana's divorce. Like, don't you talk about her ex-husband. Don't ask her. her nothing, not nothing. <laughs> So, nice. so I really appreciated that like blanket of, you know, care that she had nice. shrouded me in that I didn't even realize that I was um, until much later. And I appreciated my family for respecting and listening mm -hmm. to her because it actually made me love them more. And then mm -hmm. I could talk to them about what was happening, what was gone in a more time appropriate, you know, one-on-one -on -one situation. The whole process with my family surprised me. I thought they would be more judgmental because we do come from more Christian background. Yeah. And I thought that would be more of a play into it. Um, but luckily I had a few cousins that came out as gay a bit before me. And so <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of softened the blow. And then it was like, hey, we got someone that's poly now. We got two <laughs> lesbians, we got a gay, we got a poly. You know, so, and then now my younger cousins have actually come out as poly. So, it, you know, so from my, from me to them, now they're more open about sharing and bringing their partners mm -hmm. to our family gatherings. And so it's, it's kind of been this beautiful surprise mm -hmm. that I never would have expected um, at all. Mm -hmm. It's so grateful yeah. for. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Too. Yeah, good for your family. Mm -hmm. Good for you and your and the folks that came before you for opening the door, cracking it open a little bit, and now more and more of your family is, is kind of crashing through. <laughs> yeah. And even making that possible, certainly not even just making it possible, I imagine, to share with your family, but even to explore on their own without feeling shame or guilt. Mm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That I think is what I'm most grateful for. Um, and they feel comfortable talking to me. Like now I'm the go to cousin for any sex, kink, you know, relationship question. <laughs> like I'm, I'm that cousin now, which I'm just like, uh, I didn't volunteer, put my name on the list. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> now you're on everyone's quick dial for anything that is <laughs> of mainstream. Who are we going to call? Tiana? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, once I am just sort of relaxed, it was also like, oh, how do you give a blowjob? Oh, do I want to teach my little cousin? Well, I don't want you giving sloppy bad blowjobs out here in the street. So, yes, let me get you some tips on how to give a blowjob. This, mm-hmm. this is what I know. This is see. Watch some gay porn. Communicate. Ask what they like. Have pull out some tricks and, and you know test out the water. You know? mm-hmm. like, so it's been kind of interesting how I've even been like, is that my boundary to talk to them in mm-hmm. that way? And it's just like. Mm-hmm. They're asking me for help and I feel informed enough that either I can help answer them or steer them to other resources that then they can do a deeper dive into, you know, what they're actually looking for. Mm, Amazing. So, I mean, it was an amazing fortune to have a family that's supportive and have not only been supportive, but really embraced you. And then now think of you as a resource, a trusted resource and a safer space to have these conversations. So that's, that, that's, that's really amazing. Yeah. So what internal or external noise did you hear that made living authentically challenging? I'll start with internal. I feel like I had a lot of respectability politics Mm -hmm. that I internally had to unpack. And by that, I mean, I felt I had to represent a black woman, the black people, Mm -hmm. black culture in a certain way, especially when, you know, what we call code switching, going Mm -hmm. into spaces where you have to be more presentable or professional, cannot see the air quotes. I keep forgetting Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) around being presentable and professional because what is professional, what is presentable, those standards are Mm -hmm. subjective based on where you are. I wanted to hold myself to the highest standard. I felt like I came from a legacy of black excellence, educated black family, like my grandfather's dying wish that all of his children graduate college. So knowing that like my grandmother put all four of her children through college, um, but also was a part of the NCAAP and helped put other black children through college and help um, women use the government food that they were given, give give cooking classes so that they could feed their families Mm. and then went to college to get her degree herself after doing all of that. It was just like, Okay, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Big shoes. You choose to feel wow. And knowing that what my mom went through, you know, she broke barriers as a black woman in television, working at ABC and being one of the first women in her position in certain aspects as the crew. And what she went through to get through what she went through. She also has like two master's degree and it would, it just felt like you have to do better than your parents. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, my mom, yes, she hit that bar better than her grandmother. Okay, let's go. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's some bar. Let's, do this. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's jump over this bar. So I had to come to like, well, what level of profession can achieve that level of excellence? You know, what would I have to study? Uh, will medicine, being a doctor, what aspect of being a doctor? You know, and I just went to like, do you want to study? No, you know, you don't really. I worked into a, I worked in a hospital to kind of volunteer what it's like to be in a hospital. I do not want to work in a hospital. I realized. Mm. So I was like, okay, let me study psychology. 
I can still be a doctor and help people in an environment that feels more conducive for me. So that's what I started going to school for and, and getting into. And during that time, I started my pet service company. And I realized I was like, no, I love dogs. I love animals. I love being outside. I don't want to deal with the neuroses of other people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, you know, I learned a lot about myself while taking these classes. And so getting to that point where I was like, okay, I'm a business owner. That's respectable to my family. Everyone appreciates that. During the time I realized I couldn't do paw prints, my company and go to school at the same time because I was just getting too many clients. So I was literally skipping class to go walk dogs. So I just decided to like put school on hold and just invest into my business. I essentially never looked back and never really went back to school after that. And then during that, I realized I was like, I'm kinky as fuck. Like I love fetish wear. I love anything really that I see that's abnormal or weird, just not in the mainstream. I'm just really naturally gravitated to do that. And I always have been, but I've always just felt that there's this respectability politics that says that you can't let people know that you're into that because Mm -hmm. they're then going to judge you, judge your race, judge your femininity, judge, 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 you know, and it was just like, I have to live my life. I only have one life. I can't live for other people. I can't live for my family. I can't live for that third grade teacher that's going to see me in a garter and holding a dildo with a strap on. Like I I can't live for those people. I have Mm -hmm. to live for me. And I diving into this community, I realized actually the importance of being visible as a black woman And how the lack of visibility is why I had the stigma that I had. Mm -hmm. And so it it made me like, okay, well, am I in a place where I can hold this visibility? Because I don't want to lose clients. I don't want people to affect my livelihood, essentially, um, because the law doesn't protect about being poly. The law doesn't protect about being kinky. Um, It does protect me being queer. So yay, progress. But Mm -hmm. those other very major points in my life are not protected by the law. Even so, I can't necessarily prove a client fired me because they found out I have two girlfriends. So, you know, it was this weird kind of like stepping my toe in and exposing myself. That's why I came up with the name Glitosaurus Rex because it just felt like who I was and represented. And it was, I needed to come up with an Instagram name because no one wanted to really give me my phone, their phone number. So I was like, fine, if I have to, then this is who I'm going to be. And I embraced it. I embraced who that person was. And then it was like, well, who is Glitosaurus Rex? Well, she's a kinky badass bitch that, you know, has a sadistic side, but she can also be nurturing and she can also ask for what she wants and have boundaries that can be expressed without worrying about how that makes people feel. I'm interested in, were you able to find folks and community when you entered into the kink space, when you felt like there was not a lot of representation of of people of color? I'm wondering how you navigated that. Did you have to learn things on your own? Did you like see the other black girl in the party and like run over and like, all right, we need to now be friends. Like, what did that look like for you? Yes, to basically all <laughs> There were amazing, lovely people. That's what the beautiful thing about kink communities. They're so warm, sweet, welcoming people. Like I've never felt more welcomed actually in any other space that I had been in in New York, even with people that look like me, than kinky people. 
and not all kinky people are, you know, the best people. They're bad apples in, in every community. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I was just like warm hug by everyone that was there and embraced me. And the fact that they were asking me about my boundaries, asking me about steps into various things of getting consent through various steps of things was just like, what? Mind blown, panties wet. What is going on? And so when I wanted to, then I have this, like, once I get a taste of something, I just want to consume it all. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like I, So I wanted to go into all the different kinky spaces and see all the different play areas that existed in New York. And I realized how there weren't that many of us as I started going into the different circles. And then also how FetLife was a different community, then Instagram was a different community, then Twitter is a different community. So even like the online BDSM community can be vastly separate networks Mm -hmm. um, with some, you know, intersections, of course. And so it was actually following the different sex educators and BDSM educators that I was then able to access more pockets of communities that I felt were, you know, more queer than heteronormative or more POC than non-POC. And so I was finding more intersections that I could relate to, which was becoming really beautiful. And then, yes, I would find those people and be like, yes, there's more of us. Come over here. Or did you hear about this part? or this community has this whole other group of people that they're nurturing and having going on. So I just wanted to then be this resource of just being like, did you know about this? And let's follow each other so I can send you these events that are happening or these people do workshops on the regular. So keep a lookout for everything on their page. And that really felt like what was natural for me, but also gave me a purpose. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, how can I monetize being this resource. And I actually feel like the work that I'm doing um, with Jetson and Jasmine and King Noir and also the Harder Soft podcast has allowed me to utilize the skills and networks that I've been able to deep dive into and then help bring the connections together, whether that's brand partnerships or content creation collaborations. So it's it's been really great to now utilize this and, and not just put money in my pocket, but help put money in other people's pockets help you know give them exposure or platforms that they may not have had access to otherwise amazing this this is like such an amazing journey for everyone i'm curious if there was like a time that you can point to where you said like this is okay from now on i'm gonna live my fullest i'm gonna be my most authentic self was it or was it a gradual transition both Gradual transition at first, um, from 28, when I first entered the community, 27, 28, when I first entered the community to then my 30th birthday, where also my divorce had been finalized shortly before that. And actually my best friend who was there when he first asked me to prom, who was one of the only wedding guests, cause we got a loaf at the courthouse and then was also at my divorce signing papers. <laughs> She then was at my 30th birthday, which (laughs) was like, I feel like the Glitosaurus coming out, you know, party. And it really was the catalyst to make me realize I love curating events and spaces for people because that was the first time that I created a space really for myself that I just invited others to Mm -hmm. um, and for them to opt into. But it was literally everything at that point that I had ever wanted to do. So it was me checking off all my fantasy lists. And um, I actually had it at Hacienda uh, because of Lila. 
And she was instrumental in actually like, what do you want to do? You know, like, what do you want? And that became the theme of the a night is ask for what you want because it was instrumental to getting me there. And what mm-hmm. I will now always hold dear to myself of asking myself that mm-hmm. and uh, demanding that of other people as well. Amazing, amazing. And along the way, I mean, the way that you share your story is so smooth and so positive. And, and of course you do talk about, you know, it was ups and downs, but it, you know, because I think because of your joyful way of narrating the whole thing, I do want to take a moment to, to sort of name if there were any barriers that you face as a result of, of you kind of choosing to live your, your full authentic self. Yes. Heartbreak. Um, you want to be poly, get, get ready to have your heart broken. Sometimes multiple heartbreaks at the same time, y'all. Um, yes. <laughs> so you, you love deep, you love hard. It also has the consequence of you then have to deal with the pieces of loving hard and reconciling that and giving that much of yourself to another being and trusting that person and being vulnerable in that way with, with another person, let alone multiple people. And so there's definitely been a lot of puddle person is what I call her. Whereas like Tiana is not liquid. I mean, she's not solid. She is literally collapsed into a liquid form and is just on the floor. You you know, maybe she's on the couch, but mostly on the floor. So (laughs) it it kind of is like, I've, I've had amazing partners that help stop me up sponge me up, put me in a bucket, put me in a a warm, beautiful place. But I've also had to learn how to do that for myself Mm -hmm. internally, how to do my own self-coping mechanisms um, to self-soothe, not leaning on my love of cannabis as a crutch to deal with my anxiety and as a coping mechanism. And that was its own process Mm -hmm. because I had a partner that broke up with me because he said, you smoke too much weed. And And I was just like, this is my medicine, sir. Like you wouldn't tell me, I mean, maybe you would tell me I'm taking too much Xanax, but that is, (laughs) that was how I was self-medicating. And, Mm. but it did a hard stop of me looking at myself of like, am I smoking too much? Why am I smoking this much? What am I getting out of it? So I did have to look at my consumption and I I recognized that, yes, I was overusing, but I wouldn't say to the point of abuse, Mm. but I needed to have a new relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And so I did not appreciate how it was delivered to me, but I appreciated the outcome of me getting to where I am because I'm in a much better, healthier place, like mentally Mm. and physically um, Mm. and emotionally because of that. But yeah, deep, deep heartbreak and learning how to recover and recoup without needing to rely on another person to help me and recover and recoup. I think those have been the, the hardest, hardest things. Cause once I got divorced, I was like, will anyone love me again? Will I ever mm-hmm. be in a relationship again? Even though I literally had two other partners, I was like, I don't know if I will have a husband love again. I don't know if I'm going to have a husband relationship aspect again. And it made me realize that I'm a nester. I love to like love hard, love deep. We pretty much cohabitate within the first month or so. (laughs) Like I'm leaving things in your place. I'm having like part of my skincare regimen, um, like in your cabinet. So, you know, that, that's what I know that like things are getting real is when you have part of my skincare regimen in your cabinet. (laughs) 
Because that's expensive to have that in multiple places. That's a real exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I remember this was a thing for you, Jackie, when you're like, okay, I've had enough. I'm gonna just double down on everything. Put one in every household. I was traveling back and forth with with all my things. I was like, it's time now. It's (laughs) yes. Yes. I'm investing in you. I'm wondering, you know, all the lessons learned along the way, is there any advice that you would give to young Black queer girls out there who are listening to this? Love yourself first. Find out what that means to you, what self-love means to you. How do you take care of yourself physically? How do you take care of yourself mentally, emotionally? Seek therapy if it's possible and available to you. There are now more free resources or resources covered by insurance. If it's not a a privilege that you can actually pay for, that has helped me tremendously. And I feel like that's not encouraged in the Black community enough or even in the queer community enough, actually. And then I would also say you have the love you think you deserve. And so that was something that was shared with me a really long time. And it's really helped me influence, especially being poly and queer. When I feel like I'm giving all of myself, I'm depositing into this person, but I'm not getting anything back. What are you getting back? Are you being fulfilled? Is this a healthy relationship that is fulfilling you and replenishing you? If it's not, then maybe reassess that. And have a support system. Support systems are so Mm. helpful. Yes, it's great to have amazing vanilla friends, but also, you know, if it's not in person because of where you live, having community that's poly or queer, hopefully intersection of both, Black poly queer intersection, Mm -hmm. there's amazing online resources. I work with Jetsang Jazzin and King Noir, who are amazing Black poly educators who also talk about queer education and always mention and tag other people. So there's so many resources online and available to you that I highly recommend you invest in yourself because you're only going to benefit by you invest, like doing the research, reading books, listening to podcasts like this. You're already doing the work. If you're listening to this podcast, (laughs) congratulations. (laughs) You're already (laughs) taking a step in the right direction and and finding other voices that are helping support and amplify community that, that is out there because it is there for you. You're not alone and you don't have to deal with this by yourself. Oh, what beautiful, insightful, deep, wise advice. Thank you. (laughs) That means a lot coming from you. Thank you. No, absolutely. Thank you. So many things resonated. I have to sit with it now. I'm going to digest all the things, but I think I am certainly appreciative of you both wanting to show up as representation for the community, but also not own the burden of that and instead decide to show up just as fully as you. And I think that fully as you and being vibrant and energetic in like your authenticity, (laughs) that I think is inspiring. So thank you. Inspiring. Exactly. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Want more of Tiana? Follow her on Instagram at glittersaurus.rex or via her organization, Sex Work Survival Guide at SW Survival Guide. Listen to the podcast that Tiana produces, Hard or Soft Podcast. And if you're in New York for Pride, join Tiana at Kinks and Drinks on June 24th, where consent is king, weirdness reigns supreme, and all bodies are welcome. 
Links to all of these are in our show notes. If you have a story or question that's inspired by this episode, let us know. Head to our Facebook group and find other listeners and curious foxes. To keep up on upcoming episodes, follow or like this podcast so that we can continue to arrive on your phone each and every week. And of course, many thanks to our patron members. Deep appreciation for your continued support of this podcast. We can do this because of you. If you want to get behind the scenes footage, mini episodes, and over 50 videos from educator-led workshops, go to Patreon at We Are Curious Foxes. And then let us know that you're listening by sharing a comment, story, or question. You can email us or send us a voice memo at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com, or you can record a question for the show by calling our new number, 646-450-9079. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock who supports our authentic voice. Our intro music is composed by Dev Saha. We are so grateful for their work, and we are grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> we did it. Curious Fox Podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.